Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with fascinating people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with award-winning screenwriter and producer Abdul Williams. He's the writer of BET's The Bobby Brown Story and The New Edition Story. Abdul also is the winner of two NAACP awards for screenwriting. He talks with us about his career, his work, and his creative process. Talk to us about screenwriting, the the kind that you do. sort of unique not for a one particular genre like right. like film but uh sort of crossover mm-hmm. is that right yeah yeah i would say so and i mean that's just kind of where the business is trending now anyway where it used to be there were tv writers and they were you know what we call feature writers writing you know feature films and they didn't do much in the other worlds but now uh just because of the way people consume you know shows and movies now with streaming you have a uh, and the different platforms that are changing, you know, from Netflix to Disney Plus and all this kind of thing. So, a lot of the, those that wall isn't there in, anymore between TV and film. People usually do a lot of people do both, you know, or if they want to, like a lot of TV people are developing feature film ideas, you know, to uh, to pitch not just for like traditional studios anymore, but so you know Netflix and Disney Plus and Amazon and those things. And then there are folks who write features who want to. Start, you know, and start developing ideas as, as shows or a limited series. Um, so I've been doing kind of f- uh, films for TV, but really miniseries, what we used to call miniseries back in the day. So, um, you know, one that I wrote was like a three-night, another one was a two-night. I've, you know, um, I have another thing. The right Bobby now. Brown yeah. one was a two-night, was a right? two-night, yeah. New Edition was three nights. Bobby Brown was two nights. The one that I have going in the production now, Salt and Pepper Story, is two nights. And then I'm developing other things um, that are like I have one idea – that I'm developing with uh, 50 Cent um, that we hope to set up at Stars. That would be like a six-episode arc, and that's the complete story, just six episodes. Another thing I'm doing, I originally conceived as like 10 episodes, but now that I'm in it and doing my research, I'm like, oh, this could actually stretch on multiple seasons. So you sometimes you know, you know the story will dictate how long it's going to be. When you write a, a, a screenplay for television, mm. right? do you still – have in the back of your mind that it's going to be on a small screen? Really, the difference in the writing for TV is if it's broadcast, you have to write to commercial breaks, and you have to, like, think about that. So 
the traditional, the way that I was learned to write for features is you think of things in three acts, act one, act two, act three. They don't have to be a certain time or a certain length, but that's just the way people from the days of theater consume story. In TV, they write to act breaks. What's going to get the audience to come back, to stay through the commercial, to sit through the commercial and come back? So you learn to write, for lack of a better word, a cliffhanger at the end of every, you know, towards the commercial break. So that's one thing. And then in the era of streaming, if it's not that, you learn to just, you know, write it different structurally to tell the same amount of story in a less amount of pages and that kind of thing. But, I, but in terms of like the way that people consume it, um, I don't think of it in terms of screen size because some people might be watching things on their phone. There are certain movies I don't think are the same unless you see it on a big screen. But not everything needs to be seen that way. And everybody's taste is different. Do you write to time? Well, now with with people with all of their options, all of their streaming, do you, do you have action breaks or action motivations every so many minutes? Um, I, you know, my thing is, you you know, the way that I kind of learn story is hook them in those first ten pages. A lot of times, you know, in, in our business, before it ever makes it to screen, you have to get the you have to hook them with the script. Get them in the first 10 pages. That's what, you know, because when an exec, a studio executive is busy, a development executive is busy, and it, you might be one of like 10 things on their pile to read that day. And they can usually make up their mind within those first 10 pages, I'm either interested in it or I'm not. And what that translates is the first 10 minutes on screen, you know. I found when you get people... You can, you know what I mean? If you can pull them in in that first when they're just like, you know, flipping channels or swiping or whatever and you can get them, um, you know, grab them, then let the story dictate. If it's some things are a slower build, you know what I mean? And you and it's not all action, 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 because that's not, you know, that particular kind of story. But you can um, if you you give them a character to invest in or a world to invest in or a certain storyline or a, a time period or something like that that grabs them relatively early and and by grab I don't mean that you have to have a cliffhanger or an explosion yeah. or anything like that but just something that piques their interest then you let the story dictate like what I tell uh, aspiring writers is when they say how long does something have to be the um, and this might have actually come from a course here at OU a creative writing class I took but I've always remembered it I said a story has to be think of it like a shoelace a shoelace only has to be long enough to tie your shoe and no longer you know, obviously, it's not a hard and fast rule. If you need a longer shoelace to tie your shoe to secure it, that's what you need. If it, if it can be done short, do short. And as you be, get better at storytelling, you'll figure out how long things need to be. You mentioned character. Mm. Uh, the longer form pieces that that you're doing now, right. do you approach character development yeah. differently? And and yeah. how would you describe that? Um, I you know if you if you know that you have to tell a, a closed ended story like a feature film. Um, you want to be, uh, you know, that three act structure, that beginning, middle, and end. You know, introduce you uh, to the character, tell you what their goal is and what's stopping them from getting it, and then come to some resolution. Either they get it or they don't. Um, when it's a series or something that's going to breathe longer, then you have time to live with that character. And a lot of times, the, you know what I mean, what, the way you originally conceive a character and what you think they're going to do. Um, the writing and the storylines will dictate, like, maybe you know, you think of your, sav- your favorite shows, uh, Don Draper on Mad Men, and you think, okay, I, you know, first couple episodes, I know what this guy's about, and then boom, plot twist. I'm going to show you this. Now what his goals initially, what you thought his goals were, have changed. So I would say the difference is um, when you have a longer format, your character can evolve and breathe more and change and grow. And most series that you see, that's 
what happens as opposed to a feature where you you know you can't assume that you're going to get a sequel for a feature. Right. You know what I mean? So you you want to say, tell the story in a way that when they leave, you've said everything you wanted to say. But with with a character, people identify with the character or not. Right. Right. right? right. I mean, they, there are traits that they identify with, traits sure. that they abhor, right. per, perhaps in, mm-hmm. in a character. As you're a writer developing this character, do you go into a project with the character fully developed in your mind and this character is going to be X and it's he, right. he or she's going to have Y variable? and Or as you're writing it, does the character even evolve for you? It always does. It always does. Really? Even in bios. Even in bios where I know the person's story. Um, you know, the facts, the facts on the ground may change sometimes or like the, my take on it, my initial take, like I, I, I listen to somebody and I get their story and then I have like, a, okay, I feel, I feel like we're going one way and then more, the more information I get or as I get into the writing and I see how the pieces fit together, then what, are, what I think is the character's journey changes, you know. I've done a lot in the bio space, but I've also written a lot of, you know, fictional things. Um, yeah, I, I would say you have to be flexible and everybody's all, you know, film and TV is so collaborative. So I have a vision for it. And I think of it like, you know, building a house. I put the blueprint down, but then the builders come and then they say, you know, so the director comes, he has a certain, he or she has a certain take on it. The actor comes, they have a certain take on it. The studio wants something. That, so all of us together kind of like, and, uh, figure out the, the evolution of the character and you have to as a writer I'm you know I you don't have to be collaborative but uh, you're, you you're get more to, work yeah, if you're, 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 go, you're going to be <laughs> you know whether you want whether you like it or not so I feel like you know be open to other people's ideas be open to you know and don't be so hard and fast like no this person is just this no you can make your argument but sometimes you'll get a great idea you know, from 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 being open and and as and that's how the character you know will evolve. So is the rewrite process of from beginning yeah. to, to end? It, yes. it doesn't end until it's it, viewed. It never stops. I, sometimes I okay. feel like I'm going to get notes at the premiere. You know what I mean? Like right. It it, uh, it never stops, and it's 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 tough for people to uh, to understand that because you feel like in the world of you know. I shouldn't say this. Almost there's no writing discipline that I can think of where you don't rewrite. Writing is rewriting. I tell people, I mean, that's an old axiom, but it's, it, and, I tell people and that. everyone needs an editor or yeah, a collaborator. They do. Right? And it's, um, you know, it, it's a it's a different discipline from writing, you know, just conceiving story and using your imagination. Um, I'm in it right now. And it's, it's always the same in production. Something changes on the ground. You know what? That location that we thought we had, we don't have that. Could this scene work in this place instead? Or, you know what? We're a little long on this day. Can you trim this down? So you're, you're constantly... And it's different, you know, kinds of rewriting. You from from you'll you'll write the way that I typically do it is you'll write a treatment or a pitch. You'll come up with a pitch to sell it. That's one part of it. Right? And then you get people to buy your idea. Then you get to go to script, and then you and then you're scripting it. And it's different, you know. It's uh, it's slightly different. You have the same story, but you naturally have to put it in the script format. And then people give you notes, and then you have to, you know, like executives give you notes. And then you get over that hurdle. Okay, we're getting close. We're gonna green light this. Uh, your director comes on. Well, I have a take. You know, I really would want to shoot it this way. And you're just and it's constantly tweaking, changing. You try to. I, I've heard before. If you get eighty percent of what you intended on the screen, you are really lucky, you know. Uh, and that's that's been my experience. But 
Uh, there are times, and like every writer, I've had moments, freak out moments, where I just go, oh, why are we changing this, you know? <laughs> and um, and I had an, an exec producer of mine tell me one time, this is a New Edition story, and me and the director were like, we were all pissed off because of the notes that we were getting from the network. And, you know, we're not going to do this, and we're there at like 2 or 3 in the morning or something like that. And he says, or they could just say, we don't make the movie at all, and we all go home. And then I said, or I guess I could do the note. <laughs> you know, so right. I, I got over that 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 you know that attitude uh, very fast. I, uh, I I'm a big Seinfeld fan, and if and if any of the listeners are Seinfeld fans, I, I joke all the time about George Costanza going into the pitch meeting and saying, "This is the idea, and we're not going to change it." And he walks out. That does not happen in real life. <laughs> People would just be like, "Okay, next." <laughs> you know? That's right. Yeah, let's move on. Yep, there's another show. Yeah. So when you're writing, I'm sure that you have a character image in your head. Sure. You, you have what that person looks like. Mm-hmm. You have right. uh, various mannerisms. Sure. And, and Have you ever had a situation where the actor that is hired for the role, male or female, uh-huh. is so totally different from the yes. character you had in mind? And, and how do you deal with that? Yeah, you have to be open. You have to be open and, and, and appreciate what they bring to it. It took, you know, um, it took me a while to understand that, you know. Um, you have a dream cast in your, in, your, in your head, you know. And sometimes that just helps you hear it, you know, as, as you're typing, like hear it in someone's voice or picture or picture that person or what they look like or whatever. But um, and then, you know, casting, you might get someone different, someone older, younger, you know, um, or what have you. And appreciate what they bring, what that, those actors and actresses bring to the table, their interpretation of the character, and are they capturing the spirit of what you're trying to say? You know what I mean? And, and, and 90% of the time, they are, even if it doesn't look exactly like what you thought. And then you can be pleasantly surprised. Have you ever had a character that you've written for a, a screenplay surprise you in the sense that audience you think audience mm. will react to character a right and react to character b a certain way but in fact they react to character b in an entirely different way than, yeah. than what you thought they would i have i have um particularly a movie i wrote on a while a few years almost 10 years ago now uh lottery ticket it's like the first movie i had produced it was a comedy and it's been one of those things that's just it, it's become like a cable staple and it just plays all the time <laughs> and thank goodness for it but but keep um, those checks coming yeah days. but i remember when it first came out and i would go and sit in the, in the back of the theater or whatever and it was really ju- I, it was i was listening for the laughs i was like okay i know this is going to kill and certain things that i thought were going to be super super funny they didn't laugh at and certain things they got big laughs Sometimes just because of the way the actor said it or the, the look on their face or whatever. And, I, and it was consistent and I could see that. There were moments, there were funny moments in the movie that I didn't think were funny moments. Even when we were shooting, I didn't think they were going to play. And then I would sit in the, th- in the back of the theater and watch. So, yeah, you can absolutely be surprised what you think, you know, versus what lands or what doesn't lands. In comedy, it's a better gauge because you can hear that laugh or don't hear that laugh. Right. I, I, you know, when it's something for TV like New Edition Story, I don't get that kind of feedback, although I will say Twitter in real time, when you watch things and, and, and have people live tweet about it, you definitely see like what they what resonates with them. And some some of the things you can kind of predict, like, okay, I know when I you know, when this moment plays, like it's gonna set people on fire, you know what I mean? And uh so and it, and it's nice when those things are confirmed, but then sometimes, you know, you watch it and uh 
it's it's the small moment that you didn't think that anyone would really notice or you know something someone did and it resonates for someone so uh, that's the fun part of it and i assume that in again in that collaboration with directors yeah. sometimes those small moments are amplified they are. differently than what you perhaps intended them to be that's the best thing about this and that's when i say collaborative if you're open to it you know what i mean like Putting on a production takes so much from so, you know what I mean? Like all those credits that go by on the screen, but like wardrobe. If I if I say um, frumpily dressed uh, with shoes that fit too tightly or whatever, like and that's part of that character's description. That's somebody's got to go out and conceive what does frumpily dressed mean within the context of this character. If I say. Um, you know, W-O-U-B Studios with uh, formerly Egg Crate, sh- something on the wall, however I describe it. Right. Uh, air is a little chilly in there. So, you know, people, some, uh, the set dressers have to capture that. And so m- one of my favorite things is when we're producing something and I walk on the set for the first time and I see the little touches, things the camera might only catch in passing, particularly like the the, the set dressers, the, the, the job that they do creating the, you know, what you saw in your mind and it looks exactly like it. I walk through and I'm like, wow. You know, Are this, they inside my head, right? Yeah, <laughs> but, but they're artists just like you're an artist. Wardrobe is an artist just like you're an artist. And they can, um, especially when we're doing these like period pieces and bios, you know, new edition story. I have something going now, uh, a biopic about salt and pepper. And like they were very, their fashion was very iconic. And I can, you know, someone's going to have to recreate like that in their hairstyles and all these kind of things. And it's such an, an art to that as well. I don't even remember what your initial question is. I just love to brag about <laughs> the gifted people that I've been able to work with and how they can bring your vision to life and just how cool it feels to see it. Yeah, it's great. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication is designed to bring forth the people who bring forth knowledge by word or image or data stream, and in every medium and by all means, it succeeds. The Scripps College of Communication is where one generation of thought leaders and storytellers opens the doors for the next. Educating and inspiring each other, bridging disciplines, forging connections, pushing beyond the syllabus and beyond limits. And because all participants belong to a far-reaching community of achievers, they reach higher and further, not just ready for change, but hungry for it, demanding that ideas be heard, perspectives shared, and visions realized. This is how the Scripps College moves the world forward. This is what knowledge demands, and this is why the Scripps College of Communications exists. To make it loud, to make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. When you write a, a, a biopic, what limitations does that put on you? Or, or do you feel a greater freedom or do you feel more restricted? You, I am, um, you have to stick to, by and large, the facts of the, of the person's life. Certain things you just cannot fudge, especially if you're writing about somebody who's well-known and people do know things. If you just tell something that's completely opposite of what they know happened, you, you lose your audience. You know what I mean? They start saying, well, well, I'm not really watching the Bobby Brown story. I'm watching what you think his life was. This whatever. is sanitized. Right. This so, is yeah, this, that. Yeah. You have to stay within the realm of facts. I've, heard, I've had execs tell me, 
don't be a slave to the facts. Like we we bought their life right so that we can tell it the way we want to tell it. But I'm very much like my approach to to writing, you know, the reason you were interested enough to want to tell their stories because their life itself was interesting. So I like to stick as closely as I can to the, to the events that actually happen as they remember it. Um, there are certain things, you know what I mean, like that, you know, you could, you remember the game Telephone when mm-hmm. you were a kid. You start you know, that one line, and by the time you get to the end, people's lives are like that too. You may remember something. I remember it was 1986, and I was wearing a purple jacket. You know, and then you talk to somebody who's like, no, 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 that was 1990, and it was a green jacket. Oh, really? Was it? Yeah. Here's the picture. You know what I mean? Like you, your memories, you can swear something happened. So you have to. I do so much research for everything that I do in the biospace. Everything that I can read, everyone who I can interview and get to go on record uh, for me. So you find that truth in the middle, and then there's certain stories consistently you hear over and over. Yep, that's exactly how I remember it too. You know, so th- the constraints are trying to get it right, trying to be true to. And there are certain things that when you write a biopic, you do have to fudge. And I tell people up front, like. There are certain things for story expediency. I might have to combine two and three people in your life into one person. Or I might have to move the timeline of this event that I, you and I both agree happened here a little earlier because it'll help me um, pay off this plot point or something like that. Progress. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but those, you know, you have to know the rules before you break them. So you have to know the facts before I fudge the facts. Um, you know, so I, if there are constraints, it's just the timeline of events and the facts of a person's life. And then you find the story points within. How much time do you spend with the subject of the biopic if that subject is available? As much as I possibly can. And so, and it just depends on the, on the rigors. Like for salt and pepper, they knew uh, the the network was really they really wanted to get this into production fast. I didn't have as long of a period as I wanted, so I had to really just grind and just completely immerse myself in their lives and talk to them. And you know, I don't just do like one interview and then I got it and I go off. It's a constant you know flow. And in this age where you know I can like wake up at three a.m. with a text question and text you and you say you know. Uh, it, it's it's constant. You're just constant going back and forth. New edition. I had the advantage of. I didn't see it as an advantage at the time. But when I first uh, became involved with that project, it was 2006, and I met all the guys and I interviewed them, and we sold it in 2007 as a feature film to a division of Paramount Pictures, right? And then um, the writer strike happened, and a couple of other things. We had some life rights issues, and the long and the short of it is, the project got put into what's called turnaround. Like basically sat on the shelf. They weren't going to let it go. Uh, but they weren't going to make it either. And in the interim of that time, it took 10 years from that for us to actually get it greenlit. BET, they got the rights out. But during that time, I was still engaging with the guys. I was still doing all kind of research. I was writing drafts, trying different things, you know, in a storytelling way. So I'd say that, like, Ohio University, yes, my education was here. But uh, I went to New Edition University, too. Like, I, I studied those guys' lives. So that by the time we were ready to go... I knew more about them than we ever needed for the constraints of a story. You know what I mean? But I had a a reservoir of facts and stories and anecdotes and things that I could pull on. So when we would try certain things, I'm like, you know, this is just not working. I'd be like, well, you know what also happened? You don't usually get that amount of time to study your subject. I've gotten better where I can can synthesize. I'm saying I'm mispronouncing that. I can take in facts process what I need right. and get to the heart of what I know will be good story points. So, uh, you know, people have a lot of great stories, particularly entertainers, uh, and you can't put all of them in there. So you you find the story thread. What am I trying to say with the story? And then take the parts that you need. So 
the, the that's a long answer to your question. I, I, I try to spend as much time as I possibly can, and I'm going to stick to that a, a, as long as I'm able to. I don't think I can tell, do the story justice if I have to do like quickie. I, I interview on a weekend, and then I come with the take next week. It just it won't work for me that way. You get great audience response. Uh, your Bobby Brown uh, series, I, Thank I you. think, had nine million Thank viewers you. Uh, yeah. uh, over two nights. Thank you. Uh, so my question is, as you're writing, mm. and writers, other writers I've talked to, story dominates them. It, sure. it overtakes them. Right. They, they, right. They're so immersed in the story mm-hmm. that they become story. Right, right. But you're doing this for an audience. Yeah. How much do you think of the audience as you're writing story? Ah, that's a good question. I think about them in terms of like, oh, you know, I, I have like a through line, you know what I mean, of what I'm trying to say. So like what I always tell people from New Edition Story, I'm telling the story of six guys plus their manager from over the span of time from 1978 when we meet them as little kids to uh, 2005 is where we ended it. Now, that's a big span of time to cover people's lives in a bunch of different uh, lives. So I was like, how am I going to like all this huge span of time and six different personalities and all these different things and all the infighting? And I I had to say, you know, I wanted I learned from a mentor of mine, a director named Carl Franklin, who who likes to take a big idea and and um, and bring it down to an idea that you can just like a bite size idea. So um, I, I identified, I said, you know what I think the new edition story is really about? If you could sum it up in a sentence, it's accept your family for who they are, not for who you want them to be. And everything that I, everything that I put into the story was in relation to if it, if it was about getting to that eventual point for our characters that they realize that, then it's important. If it's not, it's not. And in terms of how I think of the audience, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm not trying to just tell rehash a bunch of information and stories that they already know I have a goal in mind that I want the audience to take away from so when I so in terms of how I think about the audience it isn't so much about how they'll react to certain moments in the script or the story uh, it's the overall message of what I'm trying to say because that's who I'm trying to say it to I'm trying to say it to the audience so if I'm if I keep that in mind and it helps my writing because then I learn to like yeah, this is a great story or a great anecdote, but it has nothing to do with the overall story I'm trying to tell. You know what I mean? Um, you know, Bobby Brown. It was uh, it was a, it was a line in the movie that I we, since got cut, but um, his mother as a teenager, and he's you know being a really rebellious, and she tells him um, the movie. This line didn't make the cut, but it always stayed with me. Was she says, "Making money doesn't make you a man, and making babies doesn't make you a father." And I was like, "That's what I'm trying to say here. That's what Bobby learns by the end of his journey. What it is to be a man." You know what I mean? What it is mm-hmm. to be responsible. And so that and when I'm thinking about that, to distill that down, it's because I'm like, what am I trying to get to my audience? What do I want them to take away from this? You don't want it confused. You yeah. want it you want it concise. And, right. And, in journalism, we'd call that the nut graph. We, yeah. And then everything yes. has to build on right. on right. on that. Same and, same kind of thing. And it's a way to make sure that story doesn't overwhelm you so that you get lost and you like what you know what I mean? Because it can be you can feel that way sometimes. You can you, wander around. Yeah, and, and then when you read something and it feels aimless or you you're watching a movie and I'm like you know, like what 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 is where's this going? You know? That's when I think sometimes a writer or a director just like they lose themselves and they're trying to like serve all masters. I really feel like you have to be, yeah, you have to have a through line. You have to stay on your street and, and keep driving on it until you get there. 
So you've won back-to-back in NAACP Image Awards. Thank you. Uh, and you, you've won all kinds of other awards. Let me ask you, do you write about race or do you write from a racial perspective? Um, probably a racial perspective. I write, um, I think race is just an intrinsic part of, of our life. Uh, and I, tend, I, I write stories that are, you know, um, are about black folks, uh, you know what I mean, like that I know or have been a fan of or, or whatever. Um, I don't necessarily write for just a black audience because I feel like if I can bring anybody who's interested uh, in, into it, I, story always leads. For, for me, sto- Re- you know, regardless, of reg- regardless, regardless, yeah, story, story always leads. But um, if it's a if I'm telling a specific kind of story about specific kind of characters, I can draw from my well of my own lived experience and what I've observed and what I've learned over the years and what I take from you know my subjects or even characters that I invent. Um, yeah, and I and I'm proud to be a storyteller whose work resonates um, with you know my with my audience. Uh, but at the same time, I've told people like my goal, especially in in these bios thing, you know, in the the world of bios that I've right. kind of become my genre, is I love it when something that I don't think that I'm going to care about draws me in, right? And um, I'll give you an example. Uh, of a biopic that I thought was super well done. And when I was first became aware of it, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to watch it. It was the Johnny Cash uh, biopic, Walk the Line. And I think I started watching it. It was just the same thing. I told you about that first 10 minutes. I was watching it. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then I settled in. I put the remote down. And about you know an hour in, I'm, you know, I'm all I'm completely invested in Johnny Cash's life. I'm learning things about him that I didn't know. I'm rooting for him. I'm struggling with him. I'm like, get your shit together. <laughs> Excuse yeah, my right. language. No, you're right. And, you know, and, yeah. and and then I realized I was like, they got me. You know what I mean? And it was a subject matter that I didn't think that I would care about. And and I've had people tell me that with particularly the Bobby Brown story, because a lot of people had their minds made up on what they thought. they like, Who he was or yeah, what he who, was. Who right? he was or what he was. And they said, you know what? And I knew this. I wasn't trying to change people's minds. I just wanted to present a view of him that you don't often see, of, of his humanity. And you can still feel however you want to feel about him. I wasn't necessarily trying to make everybody into a Bobby Brown fan. But I found his humanity compelling. And I found his story compelling. And so I've had people come up and tell me, like, yeah, that it's uh, – you know, I, I didn't think I was going to even care or didn't even want to watch it. And then I got sucked in. And I'm like, that's and then when I hear that, then I felt like I, I did my job. People are not one dimensional. but no. Often we see them as one dimensional yeah. unless something brings out. There are no other parts of people. Every, there's an old saying and I, uh, no one is the villain of their own story. Right. It's, 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 you know, (laughs) people don't see themselves that way. And like, you know, I haven't seen it yet, but I've been kind of interested in watching the, uh, the reviews for, uh, the Joker. Yeah. I mean, and people are coming away from it with taking, you know, different things away. Like, how can you make a movie about such a despicable, you know, or, you know, but did he see himself as despicable? Did he start that way? You know what I mean? I find the most compelling movies and shows are ones that, Characters have nuance. My favorite show of all time is The Wire. And the reason I love The Wire, apart from just like all the great performances and, and super tight storytelling, is it people had uh, had made up their minds like drug dealers are bad people. They're irredeemable. There's nothing, you know, what if I could show you 
how a person gets led into that life and what it's like and, and that it's actually a lot like corporate structure of America. There's hierarchy, there's bosses, there's right. workers, there's office politics. Production. You know, yeah, yeah, even in the world of the drug game in West Baltimore, right? And, you know, and what if I could tell you that there are cops who, who who's hard in it and they really want to, like, improve these communities and there are others who just are interested in career and advancements and what if I tell you know, so, so that's what I loved about that. Everyone is just fundamentally human. There are not good guys and bad guys. There are people who are working through life on parallel tracks. That's what I think is storytelling at its best, not just this guy's good. Or, or if you are going to so, show somebody who does despicable things, show, you know what I mean, or, or, or reprehensible things, can I at least see life through their lens? You know, I, I why they did it, why, why they did it. Yeah. I, may, I may not agree with their choices, but just, you know, and if there's somebody who does something heroic, is there a fatal flaw? That's what makes interesting characters. You know what I mean? Like when you're just not just when, when you asked me earlier, does mm-hmm. someone just start up when you're not one note? And I mean, and that goes for drama, comedy, everything like you don't want to just write flat characters. We still have racial issues in the yep. country, and and often we avoid conversations that right. we should have. Mm-hmm. Do you see a role as a storyteller in, in in prompting some of those conversations? Absolutely, absolutely, I do. In the same way that um, storytellers before me prompted those conversations, from you know uh, Langston Hughes, Lorraine Hansberry, like the great writers that I read growing up and I think we all have a role to play and if you have a chance to bring the story out and I mean you know listen I've been fortunate that I've had things produced or whatever but I don't care if you're writing um, a play for your local you know community theater I mean you're still getting a platform to have your voice heard and you so so absolutely Um, I can I've like most people in life I I vary from hopeful to cynical sometimes in terms of like where I think we all are I try to take the long view um, which is that things are better than they were and they have a long way to go. You know what I mean? But it's but society is an evolving thing. And and being a good citizen takes active work. You don't just wake up and get it. You know what I mean? So And living in a multicultural society where we all bump against each other, not just racially, but in terms of, you know, religious lines, just our everyday philosophy of life. If if you're not if you're going to live in a diverse society, you it, it takes work in, to gain that empathy and say I may not even agree with you, I may not even feel comfortable with you, but I can address even how, why I feel that way and think about it. You know, so as a storyteller, I I feel like I've been given a platform that, to the extent that I can, I get to address this and have people hear what I think about it if they care. Um, I take it seriously. I feel like uh, you know there can be good work done. Um, I still, you know, even that cynical side of me, I still remain hopeful overall. Abdul, thank you so much. Thanks really for having appreciate me. it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. Today, our guest has been award-winning screenwriter and producer Abdul Williams. He's been talking about his career, screenwriting, and his creativity. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Blueberry, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available at the NPR Podcast Directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it to one of your podcast outlets. 
If you have any questions or comments about any of our podcasts, or if you have suggested topics for us to cover, please direct them to me by email. You can do that at hudson at ohio.edu. Again, that's hudson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu. 